0: Psalm 138 of David. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down before your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of Your hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jeremy. It's great to be with you all.
1: Happy Fourth of July. Uh, I will say that the firework laws and regulations are a little different in Georgia than where I come from, Arlington, Virginia. I was in my house last night, felt like I was in a war zone all around me, shots firing, but I made it, made it through, and we're here. Um, If you don't know me yet, uh, I hope to meet you one day. Um, My name is Jordan Coughlin. I serve as the worship director here at Christ Covenant. Um, and if you don't know our story, uh, my family and I, for the past 10 years, have lived in Arlington, Virginia, where I've served as a pastor um, at a church there that we helped start. And then in April, so just a couple months ago, we moved here to become uh, a part of Christ's covenant. And we moved during the pandemic. Uh, wouldn't recommend it, but we made it and uh, we're here and we're so glad to be here. And so I just wanted to start by just thanking you all. Um, even in the midst of COVID and stay-at-home orders and social distancing, uh, we felt welcomed. And, and that's, that's in large part due to you all. So thank you for the gifts. Thank you for cards. Thank you for reaching out via text and email and phone calls. Um, we're really grateful to be here. And, uh, and I just I want to thank you for, for being a church that welcomes people into your family. Um this, this church is a family, and, uh, and we feel welcomed, and we're glad to be here. So, so thank you. Um, if you haven't already, uh, I invite you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 138. We're going to be spending a lot of time in the passage together. Um, as Blake referenced, we've been going through a series, um, types of different psalms. If you, if you ever read through the psalms, you'll notice that they're not all the same right? They have different themes and subjects. They say different things. And so we've looked at these different uh, types of, of psalms together. Um, and hopefully this series has wet your appetite for, for the authenticity, the, the usefulness, the majesty of the psalms. I, I love the psalms. The psalms give us language to use as we go through life. Have you ever wondered, you're going through something and you, you, you're wondering, what should I say? What, what should I say to the Lord in particular? Well, the Psalms has language for us. Along the pathway of our lives as we journey through life, we experience triumphs. We experience deep tragedy. We experience joy and suffering. And the Psalms give us language that helps us give voice to what we're feeling and experiencing. It, it helps us talk, if you will. So we've looked at Psalms Love Lament, right? A few weeks ago, Will Kynes, he, he taught us how in the Psalms we have places we can go when we are suffering and we don't understand what is going on in our lives. We have Psalms Love Lament. Uh, Jason talked about songs of Praise, where we, we express admiration for the Lord and who he is and his character. And, and we've looked at psalms of imprecation or imprecatory psalms, where there are times in our lives when we are asking the Lord to judge the wicked, where we our right responses is, is anger at the injustice in the world around us. Along the pathway of our lives. The Psalms also provides us instruction. So it gives us language, but then also teaches us how to think and and how to say the things that we are saying. They direct our attention to God, don't they? Even as we're speaking very emotional language, they direct our attention to God. They invite us to see our lives with Him in view. In the midst of our pain and joys and difficulties, they call us to remember who he is, what he has done. Now, the Psalms does have a sort of progression to it. And if you've ever read them through, you'll you'll notice this growing crescendo. And then the last five Psalms, 145 through 150, burst into praise to the Lord calling all of creation to praise the great name of the Lord. And so this progression is true in our own lives as well, that we are called to join in the chorus of praising the Lord because he's worthy to be praised. Our lives, the arc of our lives, are meant to be defined by worshiping his greatness and glory in the day-to-day as we live. So today, we get to look at psalms of thanksgiving. As we go through the pathway of our lives, as we journey on, God calls us to be thankful people. Thankful people. Now, if you have looked at Scripture through the lens of thanksgiving, you'll, you'll notice that this idea of thanksgiving or or expressing gratitude or acknowledging God's goodness is is to be the natural disposition of his people. So just a sampling, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, "'Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you.'" Colossians 3.17, "'And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus,' giving thanks to God the Father through him. Ephesians 5 tells us we are to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So thankfulness is a part of God's good plan for our lives, how we are supposed to live. And this idea of thanksgiving goes deeper than than just the superficial, you know, whether you say thank you or not, or, or whether you're observant of the world around you. Thankfulness, thanksgiving, reveals something about us, right? Thanksgiving reveals how we view God, how we view ourselves, how we view the world around us. Dr. Al Mohler says, thanksgiving is a deeply theological act, rightly understood. As a matter of fact, thankfulness is a theology in microcosm. So thanksgiving, your expression of thanks or lack thereof, reveals something deeper in you. Now, I think we all would say we want to be more grateful. Right. If I were to take a poll of the room online, all right, would you rather grow in being more grateful about your life or growing complaining about your life? Which would you choose? Probably most of us would say, "Yeah, we want to be more thankful." Right. That's that's natural. Uh, Thanksgiving is a good thing. Right. When I'm when I'm seeing the good in my life, I'm more joyful. I'm more content. Uh, I I see things and it's positive, right? There's a positive outlook on my life. And yet, how often do we complain? If you're like me, a lot, right? I complain about everything. We complain about everything. We complain about the weather, the traffic, our jobs. Our bosses, our kids, our spouses, our bodies, our finances, our leaders, our homes, our difficulties, basically anything in our life that is not going according to our definition of what is good, we tend to complain. We were just in Louisville, Kentucky, my family visiting my parents, and so I flew back last night to come here and preach. I'm sitting on the plane, writing this message, and I have a two-year-old behind me, and the entire flight... The two-year-old is kicking my seat. The entire flight, hour, 50-minute flight, an hour and 45 minutes was him kicking my seat. The five minutes was when he had to go to the bathroom, and then he came back and started kicking again. Now, what did I do in that moment? I was complaining. Lord, I'm writing a message here. Can I not have silence and the ability to focus and not having two little feet jabbing my back? I complained. That's what we tend to do, right? We tend to be pretty aware of all the negative things that are going on in our lives, and we we express it. We may express it internally, we may complain to someone else, we may complain to the Lord. Has anyone found it difficult to be thankful during COVID or 2020 altogether, right? It's easy to look and see, man, there's a lot of trouble and difficulty going on in my life. God wants to speak to us this morning. And he wants to invite us into a life of thankfulness. Now, his purpose is deeper than than just helping you and I to remember to give thanks before we eat or just say thank you more. No, God wants to get after our hearts. And he wants us to view the world through the lens of his goodness, his goodness. He wants us to be a thankful people because he's a faithful God. And so in summary of what we're going to be looking at, I just want to just define thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is fueled by hearts that are moved by God's steadfast love. Thanksgiving is fueled by hearts that are moved by God's steadfast love. So let's look at Psalm 138 together. Let's learn and let me pray for us. God, we are grateful to, to be here. Uh, Lord, you've invited us to come. And you've given us your word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak. You would speak to us. Lord, please quiet our distractions. Help us to come with a listening ear. And Lord, we pray we pray that the result of this message would, we would be thankful people grateful people for all that you have done in Jesus name amen amen all right we're going to look at three things together as we look at Psalm 138 and kind of make our way through it so we're going to look at the sufficiency of God's steadfast love the scope of God's steadfast love and the security of God's Steadfast love. So, first, the sufficiency of God's steadfast love. Look at verse one. David says, I will give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. So, David begins this psalm with a loud declaration of thanksgiving to the Lord. This is not a casual thanks, this is not kind of a half hearted prayer. This is a shout from the rooftops. Thank you, Lord. He's expressing his gratitude to God with his whole being. Now, if you notice, thanksgiving and praise are immediately referenced. Look at verse 1. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. Now, this is often the case in the Psalms, where praise and thanksgiving are are linked together. They're close together. Just a sampling, Psalm 92, 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Psalm 100, enter his courts with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Now, if you remember Jason's definition of praise a couple weeks ago, he talked about praise being the expression of admiration for the Lord, right? His his character, who who he is. We're admiring his fullness of his glory. Thanksgiving is is expressing or acknowledging gratitude for specific actions. So they're similar, but they're, they're distinct. But the Psalms often brings them Together. Give thanks and we're going to, to praise. They connect God's character and his attributes with his corresponding actions. So praise and admiration of God's character flow in and out of giving thanks for his actions towards his people. If God is good, then surely his ways are good. His perfection of character move seamlessly into his perfection of action. So giving thanks in the Psalms isn't the writer being surprised, right? As if God is doing something out of the ordinary. Oh, wow, look, God was actually good to me. No, giving thanks in the Psalms is confirmation of what we already know to be true. God is good. And so, of course, his actions are good as well. And so David brings these two things together. Now, he's so confident in the goodness of God that he declares his thanks before the gods, it says in verse 1. David is confidently asserting that his God is better than any other rival false sense of hope and deliverance Around him. So here, here's an example. So I'm a Washington Nationals fan. Um, I know this is Atlanta Braves territory, right? So, what if I were to get up here and to start confidently boasting in how great the Washington Nationals are? They are an incredible team, they have an incredible manager. Their stadium is awesome. They won the World Series last year. They deliver on the promises of me as a fan. I mean, I am a fan of the world champion Washington Nationals. Now, what are you feeling right now? Maybe a little like, what is he doing? Why why would he do that? This is Braves territory. The the stadium's like five minutes away. That's what David's doing. He's saying, I'm so confident in the superiority of the goodness of my God, of the character of my God. I'll speak it to any of you. Go ahead. Try and compare. My God is better. I'm going to express thanks and gratitude at the fact that I am with this God. Now, I'm not going to say that's the same with the Nationals, all right? I know you are expecting that, but I will be a fan of the Nationals. You can be a fan of the Braves. That's fine, right? David, though, he is, he's, he's expressing a great boldness in saying, I give thanks to my God in front of any of these gods, because I'm confident. He's bold. But he also is humble. All right, look at verse 2. I bow down towards your holy temple. So David derives no special level of importance or significance from God being who he is and acting on his behalf. Instead, he humbles himself and he directs all the attention to the Lord, right? To, to his character, his greatness. And there are two reasons why David is giving thanks as we move along in the passage. Verse 2 And give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, and for the fact you have exalted above all things your name. And your word. So let's look at this a little bit. What is is David giving thanks about? So your steadfast love and your faithfulness. He he's speaking and recognizing God's loving kindness, his trustworthiness towards his people. This goes deeper than just God's actions towards his people. We'll, We'll get to that, but David is amazed that God expresses care towards his people, that what God has revealed himself to be is a God of loving kindness, of faithfulness to his people. David is amazed by that. Secondly, he's amazed that God has exalted above all things your name, and your word. Now, translations vary on this particular section. You might have a footnote in your Bible. Some would say you have exalted your word above all your name. You have magnified your word according to or together with all your name. I think that this is probably the best uh, that we have in the ESV. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. But here's what David is, is saying, regardless of the, the variations of translation. God has exalted two things. He's exalted his name, and, and rightly so, right? The name of God in Scripture is the fullness of his character. It's not just something that we call him. It's, it signifies who he is. So God, being the absolute greatest person in the world, he's exalted himself. He's also exalted his word, his word, or, or another way to say it is his, his promises. So what is his word as, it would, as David would have understood it? What is his promise as David would have understood it? Well, if you know your Bible, God promised David, he spoke to David. And you know what he spoke to him? Blessing. You know what he spoke to the Israelites? Favor. So what we see and what David is amazed by is that this glorious great God who has exalted his name, who he is, has also exalted how he acts towards his people, his his promises. What God chooses to to write across the sky is his unending goodness towards his people. His glory revealed, not just in his holiness, but his kindness. David is, is amazed by this. And this is personal for David, right? Look at verse three. David moves into my personal experience of, of this grace. Verse three, "On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you, you increase." So when David was in trouble, God answered him. Now how did God answer him? Well, actually not in the way that we might expect, right? David is just finished shouting from the rooftops the goodness of God, and his example is that the strength of his soul was increased. Notice he didn't say, God delivered me. He instead gave him strength of, of soul. Now, we don't know the details of what, what David was going through when he wrote this, but it seemed that whatever was happening, God didn't immediately deliver him out of it. Instead, David recognized that it was his faith to worship and give thanks in the midst of difficulty. That was the gift that God had given. That was how God answered him. It was the gift of perspective. How often is our lack of gratitude due to the fact that we think we need a certain type of deliverance from God, right? We love to express thanks when there's a loud, miraculous deliverance in our lives. But what if God's answer and and the sufficiency and the strength of his love towards us is the ability to worship in the midst of difficulty. To express thanks to the Lord as a way to fight back against the darkness of doubt and difficulty and despair. That's how God answered David here. There's a commentator named Derek Kidner, and he says this about this section. He says, it is not always the situation which most needs changing. It is, as often as not, the man involved in it. God is with us to strengthen us, to help us to boldly give thanks to him, even in the midst of difficulty, and challenge. To believe his promises, to obey him, to trust in him. I love the words in the song, How Firm a Foundation. It just says, it's taken from the book of Isaiah. He will strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand, upheld by his righteous, omnipotent hand. That's what David is seeing. God's goodness being displayed in in strength to worship and give thanks. Second, the scope of God's steadfast love. The scope of God's steadfast love. So David is not content to merely sing about God in the context of his own personal situation, right? How God has answered him. For God's goodness is far bigger and far better than that. Like many of the Psalms, David thinks in terms of kings and kingdoms. And, and he's recognizing here, beginning in verse 4, that God's goodness is so great and so glorious that it should be recognized by more people than just David. It should be recognized by those who are most influential and powerful on the earth. Look at verse 4. It says, All the kings of the earth shall give thanks O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. So he's saying, once these kings, these seemingly powerful people, once they see and hear the words of your mouth, who you are, O God, they will give thanks. They will sing of the ways of the Lord, for you are Great. Now, if you were here last week, we just learned and read an imprecatory psalm where, like in a lot of the imprecatory psalms, God is, we're actually asking God to judge the kings of the earth, right? We're, we're asking God to bring justice on those who do Evil who rule unjustly. So why is David saying, well, these kings, they should actually give you thanks. Well, I think it's because he recognized that this goodness can be theirs as well because there's a reason that God's goodness has been placed on David. Look at verse 6. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. But the haughty, he knows from afar. He knows from afar. What David recognizes is that these kings, the seemingly great and and powerful people in the earth, they don't hold a candle to the greatness and glory of God. And if they humble themselves, well, God says that he will have regard for them. He he will give them the, the humbling thrill of being in God's kingdom under his protective reign. But if they continue in their arrogance and haughtiness, then God will regard them from afar. He will look at them from afar. David understood this about his own life. David understood that he didn't deserve to be a part of God's blessing, and yet he was. In 2 Samuel 7, after David finally becomes the king of Israel and and God gives him his blessing, he... He goes in and sits before the Lord and and says this. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. You see his attitude of, of humble gratefulness, knowing that he did not deserve God's goodness and his blessing. How much does humble gratitude represent your attitude in life. I think that much of our own ungratefulness comes from our perspective on what we think we deserve. Now, we, we probably never say it in that way, but, but generally speaking, we, we tend to think and expect that good things will happen to us, right? We, we, we deserve good things, and, and us being kind of the center of the universe, kind of expect that other people and circumstances will kind of fall in line to our idea of, of what is good for our lives, what we think we, we deserve. And I think God wants to show us and remind us that our lack of gratitude and our complaining is often rooted in arrogance. in in pride, in being haughty, and and it's serious. You think back in the garden, Adam and Eve. God gives them this wonderful gift of a garden and any tree that they could eat from. Enjoy it, he said. And yet Satan comes along and begins to point at the one thing that God didn't give them. The one thing that God said they need to avoid. And in their hearts, there was an ingratitude. A lack of acknowledging that God's ways are good and maybe they deserve to be like God. And so they sin. In Romans 1, where God is describing man's rebellion against the Lord, it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. If you know the story of the Israelites, you see again and again that they forget that it's God's grace that has given them blessing, and they begin to believe their own narrative that it was somehow by their own strength, by their own effort, that good things were happening to them. Lack of gratitude, lack of gratefulness, lack of thanksgiving is often rooted in this this false belief that, that you know what is best for your life and you deserve all the good things in life. You deserve to define and control the narrative of your life. And God needs to get with the program. It's arrogance thanksgiving grows in the soil of humility. We need to recognize the majesty and greatness and glory of the Lord, and then we can see with amazement that he has chosen to regard us, to see us. Living in Arlington, right outside D.C., for as long as we did, you have a chance to interact with people who kind of know people who know people, right? And so one of my friends uh, worked in the White House under President George W. Bush. And, and one day I was, I was just asking him, you know, a, as you knew him both as you know, a boss, but then also he, was, he became friends with him, what most impacted you about President Bush? And without a, without a beat, he, he began to describe... Um, his intentional acts of goodness towards anyone and everyone. So he didn't limit his regard or his attention to, you know, the people that were at his level or his senior cabinet. But my friend just began to relay story after story about about how he would call six staffers and and make sure that they were okay. Imagine getting a call in your hotel room. Who's this? It's the president. Just asking if they, if they were okay. Uh, he, he would write notes to interns who were getting married. He would know the birthdays of the service members in the White House. He would remember special days for people who worked for the press. Now, none of these things are like extraordinary or, or even unique to him, but What made it so significant in the life of my friend and then as he was telling me is is that it was the president doing these things. Arguably one of the most important people in the world is showing concern and attention and kindness to to people that really didn't deserve it. He He didn't have to know their name or know what was going on in their life. He, he just wanted to bless them. That's just a small example of what the Lord does to us times a million. Do you know that the God who created the universe knows your name? That He shows regard for you that he knows your life, that you're not forgotten, that he hasn't overlooked you to see somebody else. God has shown regard for you. And that is part of the expression of thanksgiving and amazement is that God sees us. He knows us. He acts with intentional goodness towards us. And so it leads us to humility and a gratefulness to the Lord. We didn't deserve this, and yet he pours it out over us. So that's the scope Of God's steadfast love and finally the security of God's steadfast love the security of God's steadfast love so after surveying these glorious truths about who God is and the strength and the, the scope of his steadfast love David returns to the present and what he sees around him is trouble and difficulty it hasn't it hasn't gone away He sees enemies still. He still sees trial, but he knows that God is faithful. He knows that the Lord's steadfast love endures forever. And so look at his confidence as he closes the psalm. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. David shows us that thankful confidence results from believing in God's steadfast love for you. He sees trouble, but he knows and he gives thanks that the Lord is on his side, that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The promises of God will not change. He will be faithful, and so he gives thanks. There's a a thankful confidence. I also appreciate how he ends the psalm by still asking for help. Look at it. His closing sentence is, do not forsake the work of your hands. So he ends the psalm with confidence to just go along life. No, he ends with confidence to ask the Lord for deliverance, for, for good things. His, his gratefulness didn't stop him from calling on the Lord. No, it actually increased his confidence to go to the Lord. And this is what Philippians tells us to do. Right? Philippians 4.6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How many of your requests to the Lord are with thanksgiving? I think for many Christians, myself included, our unbelief can begin to chip away at the foundation of trust in God's character, which leads to half-hearted prayer or no prayer at all. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time. Maybe you want to get married. Maybe you want children. Maybe you want another job. Maybe you've been praying for a loved one to to be saved maybe you're just praying and asking God for healing and you've prayed and you haven't seen the great work of deliverance according to your definition and you begin to question is God really good and your your prayers become half-hearted and really your language is, I don't really believe that God would give this to me. He must not love me. He may be good to that person. He may not be good to me. And it, it deadens and destroys what God has actually given to us, which is boldness to come before his throne with our requests. Boldness to come to our Father in heaven who loves us, who cares about us, who is good to his people. And so this psalm helps us understand that it's our thankful confidence that moves us to request, to ask of God what we know to be true about him. He loves his children. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And so David gives thanks. Why? Because he sees the great security of God's steadfast love in his life. If God holds him, then nothing can take him away from the strength of his hand. Do you believe that this morning? God has spoken to us his word of promise. He's shown you the strength and scope and sufficiency of His steadfast love. God has revealed to us, as Blake read at the beginning of the service, that before the foundation of the world, before we even were thinking, God knew you. He knew your name. And out of Billions of people in this world, he chose you. He spoke to you. He called you into the courtroom. And he said in that courtroom, though you have sinned, I declare you not guilty. Because Jesus has taken all of the wrath that you deserved and now we stand in the courtroom of God, righteous, declared not guilty. Then God moves us from the courtroom of his justice into the family room. And he says, You are now my son, my daughter. You are heirs with Jesus. You are forever secure in him. And there is nothing that can shake that relationship with the Lord of the universe. God has chosen you as a son or a daughter. And because of that, we can then go to him and cry, Abba, Father, help. I need you. Thank you. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you've placed your faith and trust in him, all that is true of you. And this love, the steadfast love, the immovable love of God, endures forever. No matter what you go through in life, God's steadfast love will remain. It will continue. So, when you consider the path of your life, as you consider your present and your future. Make sure you see it with Jesus beside you. Make sure you understand that he's going to give you fresh strength for every day. He's going to continue to bless you. He's going to continue to call you to trust in his character and his goodness as a sovereign lord. He's going to remind you that as Jason has reminded us, we, our story is a part of God's story. It's not a separate story. You're a part of God's story. And God's story is working towards a final end of complete redemption. And until we get there, we have Jesus who was the author of our faith, the starter of our faith, and he's the perfecter of our faith. He's going to complete the good work that he began in us. And as we walk along this path in humble dependence on the Lord, you know what we can do? We can give thanks. We can express our gratitude. Why? Because we coast through life? No, because God is with us. He's with you. No matter what you go through, he's with you. The Lord is on your side. So, Christ's covenant. Let's be a church that fills our hearts with great thoughts of a God who loves his children. He's better than you think he is. He's God. And let's be a church that's quick to see and express thanks for God's intentional goodness in our lives. He has done the unimaginable, and he will continue to be good, for that's who he is. That's who he has revealed himself to be, a God whose steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts are full this morning as we consider your steadfast love. And Lord, now as we sing and as we go out into our lives, Lord, make us a grateful people. Help our minds and our hearts to be quick to express gratitude, quick to express grateful confidence. Lord, make us a thankful people for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name.